Welcome back to The Corresponding Author with John Michelli and Stephanie Hicks. And today we're going to be talking about conferences. Yeah, it's that time of the year in which I feel like every week there's an amazing conference going on. So John and I thought it would be fun to sort of dive into the world of academic conferences. Yeah, it's it's uh, interesting. So there's a big conference for statisticians, JSM, coming up next week. But I feel like my Twitter feed every other day is like filled up with hashtags from conferences that I'm not at and getting a little bit of a FOMO for certain ones of them. FOMO? Can you describe FOMO for those in the audience that might know what FOMO is? <laughs> fear, fear of missing out. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, so what are some conferences that you've seen online, academic conferences that you see online that there's a little bit of FOMO for? I don't know. I th- didn't you I saw the Women in Data Science uh, conference uh, that had come up. Um, looked really nice and they had a lot of their slides online so I got to see some talks. Um, and I saw Hillary Parker uh, do some keynotes from I think that one, right? Hillary Parker from Stitch Fix? Yes. Yep. Yeah. I, what about yourself? I attended a few this summer, the symposium on uh, data science and statistics, or maybe it's statistics and data science, the bioconductor conference, which I think we talked about in the last episode of the podcast. And then I'm heading to the the big annual meeting for all statisticians in North, North America called, called the Joint Statistical Meetings, or JSM. So, And that's in Denver this year, right? That's in Denver. Are you going? I, I am not going. I am not. Uh, I am not presenting, and we have a family vacation right before that. So I didn't necessarily uh, wanted to jump on a plane right after that. Um, so well, that's an interesting question. So maybe we start there. How many conferences do you attend? Academic conferences do you attend just for fun, in which you're not necessarily presenting? Um, I would say that's kind of rare. Uh, I have actually started a bit more sometimes presenting in the short courses aspect. So a lot of conferences will have um, the regular sessions, but before that they'll have short courses or tutorials. And so I've actually in recent years um, become uh, more likely to maybe submit something there, Uh, but not, not actually presenting at a conference, but still going maybe once every two to three years. Uh, one conference like that. And that's usually something like the joint statistical meeting or something like that, where uh, we have administrative stuff or, or it's like a large gathering of statisticians. So I can see a lot of people I've collaborated with or friends from grad school and stuff like that, but generally not the smaller ones, unless it's something really niche in my field. Yeah, it's the same here. So when I was a student and even so maybe during a postdoc, I found myself wanting to attend much more, many more conferences than I do now. It was like, if there was an opportunity to attend a conference, I would usually jump on it, even if I wasn't necessarily presenting. And as I get older, I realize it's harder for me to do that. And so I have to sort of prioritize. And the only way I can really, one of the ways I can prioritize is if I'm going to present or um, if I'm somehow involved in the conference, if I'm on the organizing committee and so forth. So that's... That's one filtering mechanism that's like reduced the amount of conferences that I would attend just for fun. Yeah, absolutely. And so although we're not going to go into the details of like students attending conferences or things like that, but um, I would say it, it doesn't hurt to ask, right? right? If Can I go to this? Because um, it does do a lot of great networking and, and definitely presenting in front of a crowd that um, – is not your peers and is not your department is super helpful, especially when you go on the job market for any job, not just academic. All right. So you have started into some awesome topics there. So how about we um, start with a set of questions that I wrote down and then we can kind of talk through academic conferences. Sound good? All right. All right. Yep. Okay. Great. So first, what are some reasons to even attend an academic conference? There's, of course, the scientific or the technical talks that are presented. Yeah, I uh, I think there's a couple of reasons. And the reasons I, I give, I guess, in, in, in order is to uh, see what other people are doing, right? See what, what's going on in a field or a subfield or something like that to be able to actually see the talks. Um, networking and seeing especially friends or collaborators that I wouldn't be able to see otherwise. And then... Also, I like to travel and see new areas, new places, things like that. So uh, 
you're gonna have a probably higher likelihood of me going there if it's in a in a spot that I, I want to travel to. Uh, what Wait, what kind of areas do you like to travel to? The warm or the cold or uh, the mountains? Or- <laughs> uh, it depends. So there, uh, this past year there was a uh, conference for um, stroke. So it's the International Stroke Conference, which which I do some area, uh, work in stroke. And so it's called ISC. And it was in Hawaii oh, yeah. this year on Honolulu. So that was not um, a bad bad venue. And then um, actually one of my friends from – my roommate from undergrad, his mother-in-law does work in stroke. So uh, his uh, in-laws and, and he actually and his wife actually ended up coming out. So it turned into a really great trip. Uh, I would have gone to the conference either way, but – the fact that it was in Hawaii didn't uh, That's didn't hurt. An awesome story. Your story reminds me of my the first time I went to a conference or an academic conference as a PhD student. I was you know busy doing my research, and my PhD advisor said, "Okay, Stephanie, there's a big annual conference that happens every year. It wasn't JSM; it was a different conference." And he said, "Go check out where the location is. You should go this year and present at that conference." And I said, "Okay, sure." So I like doodly go to the computer and I realized the conference is in Hawaii. I went back to him and I said, ah, so guess what? The conference is in Hawaii. And he was like, congratulations, you're going to Hawaii. (laughs) I know. Oh, that's great. It was a fantastic experience. So is that the, was that That the first first conference conference I ever attended? Yeah. As a PhD student. So, wow. You were you were spoiled. I will I will tell you my experience was not that. Um, it was a it was a great conference, but it was it was I think the first of its kind um, about a topic in imaging uh, that I no longer work on. But it was kind of like a meeting of the minds of a lot of like big name people, so it was really great to go to. But it was very very focused on the science, and um, the destination was fine. But it was a single stream conference, and um, if you've never been to one of those, it's essentially like. There's one talk after another. There are no concurrent sessions. There yeah, are no those are two great. talks at a time or anything right. like that. They're great, but uh, that it was it was yeah, like an no, eight hour long. day. And, <laughs> but the science well, is yeah, usually good. They're very long. Yes, this is, the science was fantastic, but the days are very long. And um, it was on a medical campus that doesn't have necessarily that much around it. So um, I wouldn't say you were, you were trapped there, but you were definitely, you were definitely sequestered off and it wasn't like you could just go wandering around. So it was, it was a very interesting thing. And I, 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 my advisor at the time was there and I spoke with him and I said, Oh, so this is like what conferences like are like. And he's like, not exactly. This is, this is a, this is a super scientific one. Uh, uh, Yeah. So I think the networking and some of the uh, external uh, tangentials uh, were not as not as large there compared to some other conferences I've been <laughs> That's to. So funny! I have had similar conference experiences. For example, well, one of them was called um, an innovation lab. So the idea is you put a bunch of people in the room who are all interested in the same topic, and you encourage and promote ideas to be generated to try and solve the problem. And how you do that, there are various ways of how you do that. But it was very long days, but it was fantastic in terms of making progress to address the question that we were after. So, and then I've been in other conferences in very remote locations, like in Switzerland or various parts of the world, in which they specifically pick these very remote locations that A, it'll attract the participants to the location because it's so beautiful and it's so remote, and then B, you're just kind of there all together and it's not like you want to go out and leave the conference um, convention center, for example. There's no convention center. It's like usually in a very remote hotel or something. Yeah, I'd, I've never gone to one that remote, but we've oh, definitely yeah. been up to Banff for uh, BIRS. And that what that's is uh, Banff is gorgeous all year round. Um, I forget the what the acronym Let's stands for. So uh, I'm going to have to. Yeah, it's it's a Canadian um, organization that really promotes science and research, and so they organize these conferences. But they're they're very interesting because they are generally funded, housing is paid for. Um, but uh, Banff is a gorgeous area for the summer or the winter uh, with respect to skiing and just nature or hiking and things like that. But uh, we were all on the on the same grounds and kind of dormed very close together. So like dinners and things like that, uh, sparked a lot of innovation, a lot of discussion was very close knit, which I thought was fantastic. Um, 
And then the fact that a lot of it was paid for really uh, helped a lot of students or people with, you know, not not funding issues, but maybe not the ability to to travel uh, all the time or something like that. So it really brought a lot of people together that might not have been there otherwise. So um, they have great programs. Yeah, up I was there. looking at Banff, the center, and it B I R S stands for Banff International Research Station. Ah, so, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So some other reasons to attend I could think of are maybe a keynote. So a keynote is a particular type of event that can happen at a conference. It's usually a, a major draw for the attendees, and they might even bring in a very famous person either within the community or outside of the community. And the keynote speakers, I feel like, really set the tone for the whole conference and um, there's a lot of discussion that usually comes out of the keynote that kind of continues during the duration of the conference. Yeah, no, I think that's, I've never really attended one of those, uh, but that's definitely a big draw. And I think the other thing that, um, especially as you become more senior, uh, definitely administrative uh, tasks or administrative meetings where a lot of people uh, are in the same room that you know, it's really hard to get all those people in the same spot. And then also large, like large scale studies, like multi-site studies, sometimes they will have their investigator meetings and things like that at specific conferences that is really in the area of the clinical trial or of the consortia or something like that. Because, you know, again, trying to get everybody physically in the same place is almost impossible otherwise without kind of a conference like this. Um, and then administrative things like uh, if you have individual uh, sections or chapters of your, um, not institutions, but your uh, committees for, what am I thinking of? What is the word? Uh, organizations for your organizations right. that you're, you're yeah, a part yeah. of. That makes sense. Um, okay. So let's talk about what happens at a conference. Like generally give us a summary in your opinion of what happens at a conference, academic conference. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'll give uh, the, sh the short rundown of what there are. So, I mean, I think there's usually always a poster session for most conferences, not every single one of them, but mostly. There are sets of usually contributed talks. So there's there's talks that go on. Some of them are concurrent or like I said before, some of them are single stream where one goes after the other and you kind of same stay in the same physical place. Uh, some are contributed talks. So some are invited talks. So invited talks, you essentially have someone submitting a proposal or the committee asks someone to go and present um, on a topic or their research, and those are invited. Uh, and then there's contributed talks. So usually after those are filled, there user are other slots for people to submit and say, I want to talk about this at this conference. And those are there. And then usually there are mixers or dinners um, where, you know, you have hors d'oeuvres and maybe drinks um, or specific, you know, meetups for certain subgroups like young investigators for students or for people in certain advisory boards. Um, and then at least the, some of the ones I've gone to for imaging, they do sometimes have what you, you were talking about, um, or maybe something different, these things called like hackathons or like w essentially workshops to have a targeted goal of like software development or making new things or analyzing data and stuff like that. But that is that is not ubiquitous in academic data science. So what about or in academia um, and conferences in general? So what do, what do you think? What, what did I miss or what, what do you agree with? Oh, gosh. Well, I think one thing you're missing is kind of like the structure. You listed off a lot of good sections and like common things that happen. But conferences, it's not uh, universal, the structure. Every conference is different in terms of how they break up their structure. But I mean, generally speaking, you might have a keynote, for example, and then you might have a set of contributed talks like you were mentioning, or then you might have a poster session. And the contributed talks may run concurrently, or they may not. Um, you may have a different set of con uh, sessions going on at the same time. The really large conferences that I've heard of with like 30 or 50,000 people, I mean, <laughs> you can imagine they can't possibly have a set of talks like all run back to back. They have to run sessions concurrently. So, and then another thing I thought, um, one other thing I thought about was roundtables. So I don't know if this is unique to statistics, um, but there are a set of sessions or slots during the conference in which people can get together around a table and discuss a particular topic that I have found at conferences before. 
Um, let's see. Then there's usually workshops before and then like, yeah, sometimes those round tables are also just like lunches with kind of higher, like maybe, maybe not, not, you know, uh, celebrities but some people more senior in the field uh sometimes where you get to you know essentially pay for lunch where they kind of have like they're i wouldn't say they're running any sort of tutorial or anything like that but it's just kind of like a back and forth like a q a with certain people and i know there are lunch lunch round tables like that as well yeah and then i mean from an individual's perspective one common thing that happens at conferences is hopefully you're presenting something you're presenting on a topic that you either submitted an abstract to we could talk about how that what that process is like but usually you submit a piece of a document or paragraph summarizing what your work is and then the conference organizers will decide whether or not they want you to present on that topic and so hopefully you got selected and you are presenting on that topic, or maybe you were invited to come to the conference and you didn't actually submit something. Um, yeah, and it's yeah. interesting because I think in many respects you're you're either submitting what you're working on or what you believe you'll be working on in some time before the conference. So, oh, that's a fascinating topic. Yeah, so for the meeting that I'm going to attend in two weeks, the joint statistical meetings, that requires submitting an abstract essentially a year in advance. Actually, the meeting for 2019 is happening in two weeks from now, and they've already announced the invitation for submissions for 2020, like two weeks before the 2019 <laughs> conference even happens. So I don't know how normal that is or how universal that is. <laughs> I, I don't know, but I do think it's 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 not a it's a smart idea in some respects because you're I think you're all jazzed up from the conference and you're all excited sometimes and you know you're like okay well like next year like we're gonna do this and if that's open I think you might be more likely to submit something than you know missing a deadline like four or five months from now so I do I can understand why they do it but yeah it seems it seems a little little far planning uh, for the future right. Right. <laughs> so in addition to presentations, another thing that I, I have found um, that happens at conferences is networking. So there, you mentioned some examples of where networking can occur. So lunches or mixers or dinners or things like that. But in general, I find at academic conferences, the, the as I grow into my career, I realize it becomes more and more about catching up with old colleagues or catching up with or planning out new projects with colleagues or discussing new papers that have come out or new ideas that have come out. Not necessarily scientific presentations all the time. I think it depends on the, the size of the conference. That probably is related to how much networking goes on versus how much... Um, your time is focused on science, but I do find that certain conferences, I'm spending a lot of my time connecting with people as opposed to sitting in an audience, just listening to talks all day long. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think, I think part of that for me is that I, I find some conferences a bit lacking in interactivity. So I think that networking really is where some of the real discussions sometimes happen where, you know, you might've been at a session and then you go out to lunch and with somebody there where it's just like, Hey, we're grabbing lunch. Do you want to come? And then those times can actually turn into, you know, real discussions of like, what do you think about that? What do you think about that talk and things like that? Where I, I believe they allocate time for like floor discussions and interactivity and questions and stuff like that. But uh, a lot of times I go to a conference and I find my, find a talk goes through and then there's either no questions or too many questions and then it kind of breaks and then people leave. And then the question, question and answer sessions kind of not always, uh, used for that that time period so like networking i think can get to some of that scientific stuff but i agree a lot of the mixers for example are uh for specific institutions and their alumni or their associates so i think that's you're talking about for large conferences for large conferences yeah um yeah yeah so for large conferences for um but for smaller conferences uh, and yeah, and so hold on. So what do you believe, what, what would you give some numbers to small and large? Mm, I would say anything under 200, 150 to 200 is small. I would say a solid medium conference is like 200 to 
800, maybe a thousand. And then anything above a thousand, I feel like is large. I, I would I would agree with that, but then there's like a whole different class. So I've gone to this one called Society for Neuroscience, which is like, again, like 40,000 people. Yeah. Okay. Then there's like, all right, what would you call that? <laughs> they're like conventions. They're not, they're not even, I, I would, they're almost. Um, I think there are yeah. only like three conventions in the U, convention centers in the U.S. that can hold that many people, right? I think so. I think it's like Santa Fe, I believe. I know New Orleans can, um, I believe maybe, uh, Chicago, but yeah, it's like they, they have to rotate through those places. Cause that's the only place that could accommodate such a large thing. So I think of those in summer sex, almost like conventions rather than conventions. conferences, even though they're built like conferences. I've never actually attended one of those. So I don't have experience with the mega conferences that you're yeah. referring to. They had a poster session that went from a one. And I think there was like 20 to 30 posters per letter that went to triple W what? And it took me 10 minutes to like walk like from end to end almost. And they changed every, they changed twice a day for four days. Wow. That's impressive. It was, but like that, that conference, a lot of respects, like the posters where were like a lot of the uh, game in town. So it's, it is interesting because the size of the conference and the structure can actually, um, I wouldn't say make it more beneficial, but maybe more desirable to have a talk in some or a poster in others. Um, I find that that's kind of interesting. That's not always discussed that like having a talk is not always uh, the best thing um, with respect to like connecting with people. Some And sometimes a poster is better and sometimes a poster um, might not be as good depending on how well attended the poster sessions are. So I think that is a difference between like certain different conferences that you kind of pick up from some people who have gone in the past. I also think it depends on the type of conference. So there are conferences in which very few talks occur and they're highly selective and basically everybody gives a poster or vice versa in which basically everybody gives a talk and very few people give a poster session or there may not even be a poster session. So I think it depends on the type of conference that you're attending and that you just have to ask your your friends your colleagues your peers about and say what type of conferences is this is large is this small is this mostly talk focused is it mostly poster focused or is it split in the middle things like that yeah and i think it depends on the field like i talked about one from neuroscience i know you have talked about some from bioinformatics but we've talked about some that are statistical and it's interesting because the whole other field of like engineering um, their conferences are actually how a lot of their stuff gets published. Oh yeah, like computer science is like that. Yeah, so computer science, engineering, that your publications are actually um, conference proceedings. Um, and they still do publish in journals, but I think the lion's share of their work is done there. So that's a, that's a totally different animal that we're not going to touch on. But if you're a data scientist, it is, it's kind of interesting, especially in academia, because if you're in a department that doesn't have that trying to showcase your CV where like this is a uh, a presentation or this is a conference proceeding that that kind of should be weighed equally with kind of a paper that is kind of uh, a, a not a hard thing to do but you just have to showcase it in the right, right way so everything we were talking about now I would argue is what I would call like a traditional conference and there are these new types of conferences that have popped up. One example of them is something called an, um, an unconference. So I think they've sort of grown in popularity. I, I've attended one unconference. I think it was in 2014. And this... What would you define, what would you define an unconference as? Something that's like without a predefined structure. So they, they have an intentional goal of not defining structure to the conference. Like a normal, a traditional conference would say, we have an invited session 10 to 12. We have contributed sessions 12 to 1, whatever. There's like structure that's imposed at the conference. And an unconference, they'd scrap all that. They say, so we're going to tell you who the attendees are who are coming to the conference. We're going to connect you before the unconference begins. We're going to put out some ideas of things that we want to get accomplished during the unconference or talk about during the unconference. All the attendees arrive, they get in the room, and then there's just like this organic discussion that starts to occur in groups form or talks happen or there's like no structure. That's why it's called an unconference. And somehow things get done at the end of the day. <laughs> it's just like a fascinating thing. 
Is there like a recap sometimes or like a presentation of like successes or, yep. Yeah. So, I mean, well, I mean, as you can imagine, unconferences, as there's no predefined structure, there is no like formal, let's set up a recap time. But my sense is that, that you could impose as much or as little of that as you want on the unconference. Like you could, for example, say at the end of each day, we're going to have a recap of sort of summarizing what happened and setting up goals for the next day or however you choose to do it. Or you could do very little of that, or you could do it all online. I mean, but it's just a very interesting thing in which, again, you're getting people together in a room. I mean, like a conference, you define it sort of like as the oppor- an opportunity for researchers or academics to sort of like discuss your work or um, discuss new developments in the field or s- discuss how you would solve a problem. I mean, like that's really what you're doing at a conference whether you're doing that with formal presentations or doing that over discussions or however you choose to do that, it's just, you're not setting up a structure for the conference itself. Yeah. I've never attended one of those, but I, I, I want to, because I, I had some critiques obviously earlier about some of the interactivity of some, some talks. And it seems like this is all interactivity all the time, right? It is, but then it's easily, you can easily get distracted as well. <laughs> so as you can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> So light structure maybe might be helpful. There's just some guidelines. Just some guidelines. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I hope you do get to go. They're a lot of fun. Um, I haven't done, as I said, I only did one before. If I ever have the opportunity again, I think I would go. Let's talk about like conference prep. So if you are, for example, at a really large conference and you have an enormous amount of poster sessions to get through, you have to do some conference prep right? Yeah. Like you can't just like go there and be like, I'm just going to start looking in the book because the poster session will be over by the time you finish looking through the book. So what kind of conference prep do you do for small or large conferences? Oh, that's, that's a, that's an interesting question. So first off, uh, I would highly suggest not, not getting a book, right? I mean, there's online apps that most conferences have now. Smaller ones will still have uh, maybe their proceedings or their talks in like a PDF form. But I like that because I can like search a lot easier. Uh, The index is a lot better. Like also I'm not lugging that thing around usually. Um, So I really do appreciate um, just as an aside conferences that allow you to like opt out of of paper um, as much as I can because I'm, it's going to go into the bin at the end of the day. but the prep, uh, so there's, I, I'll, I'll split it into two things. So prep number one is what do I want to see or, or who do I want to meet up with? So usually I'll send some emails saying like, hey, um, especially because the nice thing is these are like long term out. Like so if you are a foodie or, or like very specific things, like you can get reservations like four or five months out of the way, even if it's right. like a really nice place. Um so that's something. So definitely e- uh, emailing some of the people you do network with and say like, hey, let's do dinner this night or something like that. So d- definitely a networking reach out. And then the booklet, uh, I try to integrate everything with my Google Calendar to add things to that. There will be some conflicts in there. Um, but then there'll be at least two or three that I, I like. I'm like, I have to go to this. I have to go to that, <laughs> including including my own session. Um, hopefully, hopefully that's on your on your uh, your agenda. And then, so that, I I tend to go through that maybe like a day or two. Uh, Also, like this is not a bad time if you've downloaded things like for the plane ride or the train ride um, to do, but depending on how large the conference is, it it does take a bit of time. I would say at least like an hour or two for like larger and like over two day conferences. Um, You kind of have to look at that. Yeah. Uh, And then the last thing I'll say is the prep for me. And so... Kind of, I think the open secret for a lot of some a lot of conferences sometimes is that uh, you will be doing your slides on the way there. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I know I'm sort of so, guilty of that yeah. myself. So I had an, um, a colleague one time tell me, or he asked, or asked me how we got on the subject of him preparing for talks, and he said do you know how long I spend on talks, like preparing for talks? And I said, no. And he said, essentially, like, as long as it takes me to get to the conference, like to travel to the conference. And I, <laughs> I laughed so hard the first time I heard that. And I have become one of those people. Like that's <laughs> for certain conferences. It's, that is my tactic of survival right now. <laughs> It it is it uh, and it's uh, it's interesting because like when I was a student, I remember my first sets of talks. Like I I had done them in advance. I'd practice like on campus in front of other people. I'd like practice in my hotel room to make sure I was on time and and things like that. And uh, 
I, I don't know if you get better at gauging your time, but I, I think you're, you usually get better at like knowing your average time per slide. That's true. Generally pretty well. Yeah. So um, I wouldn't say that I haven't uh, gotten close to that, but I definitely, I'm, I'm very much, um, if I have any more number than this of slides than minutes, it can't be usually more than like five, right. um, something like that for me. But yeah, it, it just, uh, you know, you think it's like, oh, they're just so unprepared when you first hear about it. And then you look at yourself, you're like, this is just how some people do it. But I will say on the flip side, the nice thing about that, even though it does seem unprepared, is that sometimes you are incorporating like stuff that's like literally hot off the presses. That is true. Um, yeah. In some respects, but <laughs> other times it's just. Yeah, that is true about the hot off the presses. I tend to talk about things that are on my mind or things that I'm working on. And that usually makes for an interesting conversation. But going back to what you said about practicing, you're totally right. When I was a student, I was given advice because I used to be, I mean, to an extent, I still am nervous sometimes, depending on the size of the audience and who it is. But when I was a student, it could have been, (laughs) could have been my best friend in the room and I would have like panicked when I was starting to talk. And so I was given advice from an advisor. You should write down everything you're going to say, practice it three times to yourself in the mirror and then practice in front of a friend. And then, then you can go on stage and practice or practice in front of a group of people. And now it's, it's very different. It's just, I think you just get better at it. I think with practice, you just get more relaxed at it. I could have probably joined a group of people who, um, Toastmasters, for example, is a group of people that you can join to learn how to make better speeches and things like that and communicate better. But I I never did that. So I would always just write down everything I was going to say, have my slide notes (laughs) ready to go. (laughs) I was very dependent on that. So I think I, I do feel more comfortable up there, but I still like definitely I, I like public speaking, um, but I get like a, a definitely an adrenaline rush. So I am t- I naturally speak pretty fast. And then when I'm I, I have to be very I'm usually not great with this, very cognizant when I'm up on um, presenting to slow down um because yeah. like my adrenaline and then also i'm just like i'm like let's just talk faster like they want they want the content right this, and then it's just like i am just rambling at a rate that is just not good for education <laughs> and um the other thing that's just funny is uh at least when you're presenting i i think writing down everything isn't bad except a lot of people fall into the trap and and i've seen you speak you do not do this i've seen a lot of people fall into the trap it's like oh well let's just write it on the slide and then you just i'm like if you are reading a slide to me like i'm i'm already i'm I'm on no i'm a check i'm like okay i can read that (laughs) you know do you okay so do you have any do you have any rules for do you have any like you know guidelines for talks for like i mean for writing down what you're gonna say writing down like what you what you say what you put in a note versus what you put on a slide I mean some people are really good at just like writing down literally two words on the slide and then knowing how to talk for two minutes I am not one of those people and so I tend to at least jot myself down some notes in the speaker notes so I write down or I have a graphic of whatever I'm gonna present on the slide but then I tend to have like two word (laughs) mental or two word jotted uh, bulleted notes in the speaker notes as a way to remind myself oh yeah I said I was going to talk I wanted to talk about this or oh yeah I wanted to talk about this because I'll get up there and I'll I'll talk about the first thing and then my mind will go blank (laughs) and then I will say okay next slide then (laughs) and then I get three (laughs) slides later and I'm like oh yeah I was supposed to talk about this other thing three slides ago so if I make at least small bulleted notes to myself then that is a friendly reminder and a way to help me stay on track about the key things that I want to talk about. I do use speaker notes a lot of the time, but I tend to, I mean, I don't write like full sentences anymore. (laughs) So it's not like I'm just like reading directly from the slides. I probably did that as a PhD student. And I apologize to the, anybody out there saw me present as a graduate student. Well, it's it's interesting because like we, we do we you and I do some research where we can actually create like an entire video from those notes if, oh, if like sure, that's yeah. exactly what you were going to write. So, um, yeah, no, I think definitely shortening things up like that. But uh, 
I, it's, it's funny because I, I, I'm on the flip side. Like I like, Oh, I know what that figure is about. I can talk for five minutes about the, just that. Yeah. Figure. I do. So there are some figures in which I've like given the talk so many times that yes, I know exactly what it is, but if it's like a brand new talk and I just made this figure or maybe I made this figure six months ago and I haven't given the talk since then, it's just like, I'm not going to remember unless I like practice it a few times. Yeah. Well, the, the, the practice, uh, the lack of practice sometimes bites me sometimes when I'm like, I'm looking at that figure and I'm talking and then I'm like, oh yeah, like this totally connects to that. And that's not the next slide. That's like two slides right. down the way. And it's like not a fluid segue through the slide. So I'm like, oh, if I practice this, I would just have had gotten that like transition right. down and it just seems like I'm jumping yeah. around. That's um, so true. But, but I think a few things like, uh, I, so especially with some of the projectors I've seen, like a white background slide with a yellow line, it's, it's not going to work out generally. You're not going to be able to. And then to there's the flip side um, of presentations in which people just write full sentences in their presentations. What do you – I mean, I have opinions. Do you have opinions of those? I have very strong <laughs> opinions about that. So I will say the um, the bingo, like the the my favorite of like – relatively faux pas is usually a LaTeX oh, yeah. equation, um, which is, you know, LaTeX is a math language, like writes a math um, in a Beamer presentation, which again is a, is a type of presentation that you can actually write with this language uh, of a proof. So I also don't necessarily believe unless you're going to be able to walk me through it or give me the conceptual thing, the proof is not necessarily where a presentation uh, should be. It's generally in the paper. So I'm not going to really get your proof. Um, but it's not in the document. It's actually like a yeah. screenshot That's of the proof from the paper. And then it's warped and the aspect ratio is not the same, not correct. So it looks like you just stretch the thing. That is, that is my favorite faux pas of all because uh. it's just like you did so many things to make this uglier than it needed to be. <laughs> that is a classic move, I know. <laughs> um, yeah, but for the people who put – the full sentences. The full sentences is hard to stop. I yeah, that's one in which I probably will check out because then I you could just you're like reading a paper to me. I and I'm not sure exactly what that does. Like, what is the benefit of you reading just full sentences to me and not really describing the motivation? I mean, maybe the motivation is in the full sentences, but I'm I'm not engaged as engaged into the presentation as I could be. I believe that that talks are an advertisement, um, for your paper and for your research. And I think in some clinical trial, uh, spaces, if the conference is relatively niche and they might know about your clinical trial, you can definitely say, this is the trial. This is the setup. These are the results. These are the implications. And you can convey the entire message there sometimes, but in other avenues, it's really just, if you're excited about this kind of stuff, this is what we saw in a, in a kind of broadish overview, or this is the really important nugget that you should get out of this. And if you're excited about this, read right. the paper or talk to me or email me or come, come up to me afterwards. It's not necessarily like I'm going to turn this paper into slides. Right, right. I know. So let me ask you this. You're talking about advertising for your own research. What is the difference to you between an academic conference and a non-academic conference, like a business conference hmm. or a government conference or a nonprofit conference? Like, do you have, I mean, I've never really attended, hmm, let's see, have I attended a business conference before? I'm not sure I have. Like, I don't believe I have either, but I, I kind of see like, do you, uh, some of the booths, for example, the sponsors or someone that, that buy space there, it's really to, to use their product and kind of show, and they do that pretty well, right? Like SAS and things like that. They're like, look, look at all these features. This is why you should care or buy our stuff. Right. And that's kind of the same way we're doing just instead of buying our stuff, it's use our methods or use our fund our research. Right. For me, the difference between like a business conference and an academic conference is that it's really all about the product for a business conference. It's all about the product that the business is producing, and they're either showcasing the product itself or the application of how the product can be used. And so you have people who can do both, and you're trying to sell the audience essentially on you should use this product. Now, it's interesting that you could look at a company like our studio, for example, and they have their their um, our studio conference every year they have 
a free product, essentially. I mean, they have a product that they're selling, but they're also producing packages and R that are free, that they are engaging, they're encouraging the community to use. So it's just an interesting dichotomy. No, it's. I think it's, it's interesting because I see in some respects, like we are the product or our research is the product. Um, and you're selling in some respects for you to like look into this. And it's also interesting when you get more senior, I think a lot of talks are, this is what my lab does. This is what my, you know, I, I'll call their group. Like uh, if a senior researcher has a group, let's, let's call them like their, their small company. This is what my small company does, AKA like their grad students, their postdocs and their collaborators. And really a lot of their talks are talking very shortly about those projects and then saying like, this is when my student, my postdoc, my, the junior faculty we work with are actually presenting, go see their stuff and get the nitty gritty details. Right. Um, so I think if you see your research as a product, I think they are kind of very, pretty similar. It's just, I don't know, I, I wouldn't say we're giving it away for free, but generally there's no money exchange at the end of that. Right. Yeah. One other thing I had a question about for conference prep, or maybe just like when you're at the conference, how do you keep your energy up? Because whenever I'm at conferences, I feel like I... I am so exhausted by the end of it. And I, I'm curious, do you have advice on keeping your energy up? Because I, I just like am wrecked for like a week afterwards. Oh, that is, oh, that is a great point. So it's actually pretty funny because I actually got this Garmin watch. So while we're sitting here, it's like telling me to move because we've been sitting for a period of time. And I always make this joke that like comp- if you tried to build in some respects uh, like a uh, uh, a scenario of unhealthy behavior. I think conferences are pretty close. Um, so they're like, wake up. Um, hopefully you got good sleep. Maybe you didn't depending on a time zone change and then sit for a long period of time. Uh, or first get, get food that's generally carb based and like muffins and stuff like that. And, um, go sit down for a long period of time. Um, then get up, eat a snack and then go sit down (laughs) and then go to lunch and then go sit down and then go to dinner. Uh, maybe you'll have some drinks uh, and then maybe you'll get good sleep. Maybe not. And then do that again. And then if you could fit in exercise during that time, great, but p- probably you can't. It's also um, mentally exhausting. So like I think, just mentally, like to set aside the yeah. physicality of a conference or the lack of physicality of a conference, but yes. having your brain on point for so many hours for so many days is just mentally exhausting. I don't know how else to describe it. And I, what I do is I tend to decide ahead of time, I'm going to just not attend a session from like one to three, and I'm going to give myself a mental break. Maybe I'll check emails. Maybe I'll go sit outside in the sun, or maybe I'll take a walk. But I have to force myself to just take literally a mental break from the demanding um, scientific information flowing. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just too much. Yeah, I think I, I agree 100%. And I think that's the thing that as you become, go to more conferences, focusing on the talks you want to go to is, is is important. But also those breaks, I think if you are going to a conference and you're like, well, I could be attending these things right now, I think you have to look at that as like I'm recharging so that when I go to my next talk, I'm actually going to be fully engaged versus like half checked out on my computer or half checked out on my phone or half checked out just like staring into the, you know, into the ceiling because I'm mentally drained. So I think those that see those recharging periods as, you know, missing the conference, I think you should really rethink that because I think what you do is like a hundred percent appropriate um, because that allows you to be fully engaged. I mean, to be completely honest, this, um, break this, when I started to take a break was because I, I had two children. And so I was breastfeeding my children. And when I would attend conferences, I would have to pump breast milk. And so I had to take myself out of the conference for 30 minutes to an hour, um, at, you know, specified times during the day, so I could maintain my milk supply. So I started this process of like mentally taking breaks. And then I discovered how much more I got out of it whenever I would come back into a scientific session after taking an hour break. I was like, oh, I feel better. Like I'm ready to now re-engage and continue to learn about science. So I'm actually frustrated with conferences when they don't offer these breaks during the day when it's just like back to back to back sessions and there's no break. And so 
you, you're almost like forced to just miss a session because of that. And so I am very happy to see conferences um, allow uh, 30 minute to an hour breaks in the middle of the day for a variety of reasons. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's funny because those times also, I mean, they, they still are draining in some respects, but like, you know, it, it sometimes doesn't allow you to like, oh, like we just had some coffee with someone and we started to finally get in some like, you know, vigorous and intense, fun conversation about something. And then it's like, oh, another session. Right. So I think those things, cause, cause that, cause that too, like when you're just chatting with somebody, like just being excited about science or that might turn into a collaboration, even if it doesn't, like that's yeah. what the conference is about yeah. a lot of times. Right. Uh, do you want to do you want to make any uh, any asides about childcare conferences? Oh no, <laughs> that's another topic. <laughs> that's another topic. That's like another, we're already forty five minutes into this. <laughs> okay, yeah. I have a lot of opinions. We could definitely do that as another another topic. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Um, okay, so we have decided to start a new segment. I this is because I felt like I was really bad at the data science dinner party, like. <laughs> and so John and I have thought about a new segment. So the idea is um, the segment's called the unwritten rules of academic data science. And here it could be anything that we have learned about either from a personal experience or have been told um, and just something that we feel like is useful for other people to know if you are an academic data scientist. Does that sound reasonable? Absolutely. Okay. Do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? You, you start it off. All right. So one piece of or one piece of advice that I have been told many times is, and I think this applies to both talks at conferences and talks at for like a job talk. If you're either giving a job talk as a postdoc or a faculty member or at a conference, never go over your time limit. That is one of the biggest pieces of advice that I I have been told over and over again. And one funny story I'll just say is that one time I was sitting in someone's job talk. And the jobs talk started like five or 10 minutes late because they were waiting on um, the, the chair of the committee to come into the room like he was late or she was late. And so the person who was giving the job talk just kind of was like sitting there for an extra 10 minutes with the audience. And so the person came in and they sat down and they apologized and they started the job talk. And then the candidate who was giving the talk, she... Um, got to the one hour point. So she got her her one hour, but then she turned to the committee and she said, well, because we started 10 minutes late, I'm going to continue on for another 10 minutes. And then she continued to talk for 10 minutes. And I just, my mouth dropped and I was just so flabbergasted because I've been told basically my entire academic career, the one piece of advice is never go over your time limit. And she did it. And so um, she did not end up getting the job, so take that for what it's worth. Yeah. But uh, I've just been in many talks before in which people do go over the time limit, and it's never a good situation. It's just never good. Like you can end up early, that's fine. But if you go over, it's people are always frustrated with you. Yeah, I think I think uh, so. I was going to talk about something maybe similar, but I think the underlying message sometimes is when you're giving a talk, or when I give a talk. I personally believe like it's about the audience, right? Like I, I need to, if I, if, if they don't understand, I can bait, like this goes for maybe teaching too. Like if they don't get it, I didn't do my job. Right. But like, it's for them. Um, I understand we just said everything's about, you know, showcasing your stuff and that kind of stuff. But if you don't sell someone, if you don't get someone else excited, yeah. you're That's not a doing point. a good job of, um, so that, uh, that was mine on like, uh, like chairing, chairing sessions. Well, is really important. And I think uh, I, I've chaired some sessions before. So uh, for those who have not been to a conference before, like you'll have people who have time slots and you'll have to be, a, so a chair will tell them how much time they have left and then give them notifications and then kind of have to cut them off if they need to, to keep things on schedule. Um, and I think doing that well and actually doing that um, pretty sternly um, is appreciated by the audience, appreciated by the other speakers and um, it's just really, really worthwhile to like try to do well because um, 
I think it's a, it's a mutual respect thing. So I, I chaired a session where everybody else was more senior. There was some chairs, like uh, so department chairs from um, other schools. And uh, we actually had a, a, a chat before the, the, the start of it. And I said, you know, um, I respect all of you, but I'm going to be very, very stern with the time because otherwise this can get right. off the rails very easily. It was a panel discussion, but um, I have seen times where people get cut short or cut or long or cut short because of a different person. And I think, um, if you get asked to be a chair, uh, remember it's about the audience and, and the other speakers. So that speaker, you don't want to offend them. Um, and if they're offended for you cutting them off, um, you'll have to take that kind of on the chin because the deal is your job was to cut them off if they needed to be cut off. And the other thing is if they're upset, let them be upset, but it's cause they didn't respect the time of the other speakers or the, or the other, or the audience. And, just that's the way it is. So uh, I think that's hard to do. Another reason to stay on track is if you have concurrent sessions. So you imagine somebody wants to hop between multiple rooms, like you want to catch a talk in room A in the first time slot, and then you want to catch a talk in room B in the second time slot, and then catch the talk in room C in the third time slot. So in the same session that had three different talks, you want to hop between three different rooms. If the three different rooms are not keeping to track, you could potentially miss the beginning or the end of a given talk at any given time. Absolutely. And I, th- I think, um, so like things happen, you know, people can't make it to the conference on time or they end up having to drop out for certain reasons. And, and sometimes there are canceled sessions and I would be very, very, uh, supportive of someone saying, we are just going to sit here and we can talk. We could talk about the first person's thing. We could, we could t- open up the panel discussion early if you want, but like, we are not going to move the next person ahead um, because that is not what's on the schedule. That is not going to be beneficial to other people who might be trying to catch the last or first session um, and keep to the schedule. I, I think that that keeps keeps that in mind because a lot of people do that, especially like when they just want to pop into a session to support their student or their friend or their collaborator, and then they have to go to other commitments. You want to keep that for them. Yeah. All right. There's so much more we could talk about, but I feel like our time is coming up. (laughs) Turn it. All right. Did you have any last, last conference suggestions or help or anything? Oh, um, be bold, be brave and network with people. So put yourself out there. That's one of the most that's one of the best places for you to introduce yourself to whatever community that you're in and to showcase your work. And so you can choose to sort of like hide out to not really put yourself out there, or you can choose to go up to the speakers at the end of their talks and say, hi, my name is Stephanie. That was an amazing talk. Can I ask you a few questions or at mixers, introduce yourself or however you can just be sure to use that time to the best you can, because when it comes later on down the road, when if you're going for jobs or uh, if you're looking for students to join your lab, conferences are really one of the best places to make that happen. So uh, on that vein, do you do you have business I cards? Because I feel like whenever anyone asks me, I I never have them. Like, no, I do not. Here's my email. I know. I was like, at two conferences this summer already, and people kept asking me, do you have business cards? And I was like, no. <laughs> So maybe okay, we need maybe, to get maybe if you're okay. a student, get some. Yeah. Um, so lastly, I will say uh, I try to keep this. It's called my rule. It's called my rule of six. So if you are going to lunch and you get to six people, no matter who you're waiting for, or like if, if you're wait, if you're waiting for other people, you got to figure it out, but just leave, leave the establishment, go towards lunch because getting reservations or sitting down at a table of over six people, I don't think is worthwhile. It causes a headache for servers. And then like, if there's seven people at a table, like the, the one person and the other person aren't going to be connecting. So you got six people say, all right, let's go. And, and let's, let's, let's move it. it along because otherwise you could just, you just stand there the whole time. And then it's like the next session's already started. That's so true. That is so true. Yeah. I've been in many of those situations. <laughs> so that's a wrap. That is a wrap. Thanks everybody. Right. Thanks.